بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي All praises belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We praise him and seek his assistance and guidance and we seek refuge in our Lord from the evil of ourselves and the adverse consequences of our actions. We testify that whomsoever Allah guides, none can misguide. And whomsoever He misguides, then none can guide. And we send salutations upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his messenger. My dearest brothers and elders in Islam, from the outset, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our worship, to forgive our past, and to inspire our future. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He creates, and He is Al-Khaliq. And as He creates, He gives a special precedence and rank to parts of His creation, over other parts of his creation. He is the owner of everything in creation. Thus does he create and thus does he choose Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, he created mankind. And out of all of mankind, he raised in rank his prophets, his anbiya alayhimu salatu wassalam, and gave them a rank and precedence and position above the rest of mankind. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created His prophets, He chose from them His messengers, His rusul. And He gave them a position and precedent and rank above all the other prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised His messengers, above his prophets and prophets above the rest of mankind, he chose from his messengers a few and he raised them in rank and gave them a station above the rest of the messengers. And these few were given the title of Ulul Azmi min al-Rusul, the prophet or the messengers of absolute resolve. Nuh alayhi salam, Musa alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam, Ibrahim alayhi salam, and our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He subhanahu wa ta'ala created them and raised them and gave them a special rank above the rest of mankind. And from these five, Allah chose two and He raised them in rank above the rest of those five. And he gave them the title of Khalilullah. And those two consisted of Ibrahim alayhi salam, the father of the prophets, and our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And from these two, Allah raised our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam above the rest. And he gave him a rank and station and title that no other creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala possessed. Thus Allah gave him the station of being the final messenger and the seal of all prophets. And like this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the angels. 
and he raised some angels higher in rank above other angels. So he created the angels, but he gave a special precedent and rank to Jibreel alayhi salam and Mikail and Israfil. He gave them a special rank over the rest of the other angels. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised these three angels above the rest of angels. But then he raised one of them in rank above the rest of the angels. And that was Jibreel alayhi salam because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose him to be the messenger of that which gives life to the heart. He made him in charge of revelation and revealing that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to his messengers subhanahu wa ta'ala. And like this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates lands. He creates the earth and he creates in it lands and he raises some pieces of land above other pieces of land and gives these pieces of land a station and rank and precedence that other lands do not have. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the world, created earth, but He raised in rank the lands of Palestine and the lands of Medina and the lands of Mecca. He raised these lands in rank and He described these lands as blessed lands. Like this, brothers and elders in Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the months of the year. And He raised some months above other months and gave them a rank and status that other months didn't have. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave a station and rank and precedence to the four sacred months, the Ashhurul Hurum, Rajab and Dhul Qa'da and Dhul Hijjah and Muharram. And we are living through one of these sacred months or a period of sacred months since Dhul Hijjah and Dhul Qa'da uh, and Dhul Hijjah and Muharram are three sacred months that come together with Rajab being a sacred month uh, existing by itself amidst other months. And then above these months, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised the month of Ramadan. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said about this month, Sayyidu shuhur shahar Ramadan. That Ramadan is the best of all months. And like this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the days of the week. And He raised the day of Jumu'ah above the rest of the days and gave this day a special rank and precedence and status. And we discussed in the last Jumu'ah that I did here a virtue from the virtues of this uh, day of Jumu'ah. And uh, one of these virtues is the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this day the best day upon which the sun rises. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the nights of the year. And He gave a special station to the last 10 nights of Ramadan and raised these nights above the rest of the nights of the year. And then as Allah created the last 10 nights of Ramadan and gave these months a station and rank, He chose one night and made it the best night out of all the nights of the last 10 of Ramadan and all the nights of the year. And that is known as Laylatul Qadr, the night of virtue and decree and power. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He created the days of the year. And He raised in rank 10 days above the rest of the days of the year. And these days are known as the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. And as Allah created these 10 days and gave these 10 days its rank and precedence and station 
Allah chose one day and chose it to be the best day of the year that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created. And this is the 10th of Dhul-Hijjah according to the stronger opinion. And inshallah, we will touch on it just now. And some scholars say it is the 9th of Dhul-Hijjah. 9th being the day of Arafah. So my dearest brothers and elders in Islam, I share with you this introduction to appreciate the season of worship that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing us into after a season of worship that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took us out of. He took us out of the month of Ramadan and the last 10 nights of Ramadan or the last 10 of Ramadan, which was a season of worship. But Allah is all merciful. He brings to us the first 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah, a season of worship. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us life to witness those days. About uh, the, uh, these days, my dearest brothers and elders in Islam, and before that, we remember the ayah in the Quran in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wallahu yakhluqu ma yasha'u wa yakhtar ma kana lahumul khiyarah. That Allah, He creates what He wills and He chooses to give a rank and station to parts of His creation over others and no one has a decision in that process. This is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these days that we are going into, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen them. And about these days, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to his sahaba, مَا مِنْ أَيَّامٍ الْعَمَلُ الصَّالِحُ فِيهِنْ أَحَبُّ إِلَى اللَّهِ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْأَيَّامِ الْعَشْرِ He said to his companions, radiyallahu anhum ajma'in, that there are no days on which righteous deeds are more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than righteous deeds that are performed during these 10 days. And this is a mighty statement. And it is a statement that brings our hearts into a form of acute focus. Because here the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says there are no other days aside of these days. The same worship that you do in these days will never be like the same worship that you do outside of these days. And this statement grabbed the attention of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum ajma'in. So they asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, فَقَالُوا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ They said, O Messenger of Allah, وَلَا الْجِهَادُ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Even striving in the path of Allah, because this was their way. The way of the Sahaba was the way of striving in the path of Allah, and they knew the merits that striving in the path of Allah held. So if they strove in the path of Allah, outside of these 10 days, are we saying that we have acts of worship that are more beloved to Allah than the jihad that we invested ourselves in outside of these days? Are our actions in these days better? The Prophet ﷺ said, وَلَا الْجِهَادُ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Even your jihad in the path of Allah does not beat the actions that you do, the worship that you observe, that is done during these first 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah. But then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qualified his statement and said, إِلَّا رَجُلٌ خَرَجَ بِنَفْسِهِ وَمَالِهِ فَلَمْ يَرْجِعْ مِنْ ذَلِكَ بِشَيْءٍ He says that not even jihad in the sake of, for the sake of Allah is better, unless in the case of a man who goes out and in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with all of himself, meaning solely for the sake of Allah alone, with all of his money. He leaves nothing of this dunya behind. He goes out with everything and he does not come back with anything. Meaning, he has no way of witnessing 
the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah because he passed away in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this uh, narration, my dearest brothers and elders in Islam, really sets the tone for the season of worship that is going to come to us. In another narration, in the narration of Anas, radiallahu an, a similar teaching he narrates to us from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in which he says that there is no deed that is better before Allah or more greatly rewarded than a good deed done in the first 10 days of Al-Abha. It was said, not even jihad for the sake of Allah. He said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, not even jihad for the sake of Allah, unless a man goes out himself for jihad, taking with him his wealth, and does not come back with anything. We also have further evidence about these first 10 days being important. And that is in the form of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taking an oath by these 10 days. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his book, he takes an oath by certain things. And there's several virtues as to why he does so subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of the virtues of doing so is to highlight to us how important this matter is to Allah. One of the reasons is also to grab our attention. But one of the virtues is to teach the ummah that this matter that Allah is taking an oath by, it means a lot to Allah. So Allah said, وَالْفَجَرْ وَلَيَالَ الْعَشَرْ Allah took an oath by the dawn and then by the ten nights. And the scholars of tafsir such as Ibn Abbas and others, radiallahu anhum ajma'een, they say that these ten nights that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath by, they refer to the first ten days of Dhul Hijjah. So, really, beyond doubt, we have evidence that is certain, teaching us that the first ten days of Dhul Hijjah are special days, and it is a season of worship. And we need to prepare for these days like we prepared for Ramadan. These are not days that we should take for granted. We need to be ready to consume these days from the moment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings these days to us. And this was the way and manner of the pious predecessors before us. They would plan for the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah as they would plan for Ramadan. Before we go into some of the acts that we can or we should be aware of with regards to the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah, one of the discussions between the scholars of fiqh with regards to these 10 days is which 10 days are better? The last 10 of Ramadan or the first 10 of Dhul Hijjah? Because these are both special uh, days and uh, about them, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has taught us a lot. Some scholars said the last 10 have to be better because these 10 hold Laylatul Qadr. And Laylatul Qadr is better than 1,000 months. Others said that the best 10 are the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah because these days hold the day of Arafah and hold Yawm Al-Hajj Al-Akbar, the greater day of Hajj, which uh, we have evidence uh, alluding to the fact that this refers to the 10th of Dhul Hijjah. So these are two views of the scholars. Then came after them scholars who tried to study the evidences that each scholar gave to substantiate uh, his view regarding which 10 is better and Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali and others like Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhim ajma'in they came with a good middle ground and they said that the last 10 days of Ramadan hold the best nights of the year and the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah 
they hold the best days of the year. And there's a difference between the night and the day. And this way, we join between the different evidences that teach us the merits of the last 10 of Ramadan and the first 10 of Dhul Hijjah. So the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah constitute the best 10 days of the year. And the last 10 of Ramadan constitute the, the best nights of the year. And this is a middle way and perhaps the most acceptable view and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. With regards to the best day of the year, I said to you that some of the scholars say that it is the 9th of Dhul Hijjah and others say that it is the 10th. And the stronger opinion and Allah knows best is that it is the 10th of Dhul Hijjah. The best day of the year is the 10th of Dhul Hijjah. Why? Because we have uh, statements from the Prophet ﷺ about this. In one of the narrations, he says, أَفْضَلُ الْأَيَّامِ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ يَوْمُ النَّحَرِ That the best day with Allah is the day of Al-Nahr. And the day of Al-Nahr refers to the day that the slaughter takes place in, and that is the 10th of Dhul Hijjah. Then, in another narration, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses the greatest day of Hajj. And in another narration, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam described it as well to be the 10th day of Dhul Hijjah. Also, the scholars offer other reasons why the 10th is the best. They say because on the 9th, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives. And forgiveness entails clearing up the sins or clearing up the mess. But on the 10th day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards. And rewards constitutes a form of polishing. So you clean the surface on the 9th, and on the 10th you paint it. Right? So it becomes more beautiful than it was before. If you have a surface, and some impurity falls on that surface, and you remove the impurity, the surface is clean. But it's not as beautiful as when you paint over it, or you apply some fragrance to it. So the scholars say on the 9th, Allah cleans our surfaces, cleans our slates. Right? But on the 10th, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards. We know the day of Eid is a day of jaza. It is a day of reward. So on this day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala frees his slaves from the hellfire. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fills the slates with good deeds, with rewards for good deeds. So here we have a form of polishing. And polishing always constitutes that which is better. They also say that one of the reasons why the 10th is better than the 9th is because there are more acts of worship on the 10th. Such as... Uh, spending the night in Muzdalifa. This happens on the 10th of Dhul Hijjah. Such as pelting the Jamarat. This happens on the 10th. Then uh, Tawaf around the Kaaba. And then the Sa'i between Safa and Marwa. And then the slaughtering of the animal. And then the shaving of the head. All these are forms of ibadah. Which uh, we find uh, concentrated on one day. The 10th of Dhul Hijjah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. From these brothers and elders in Islam, when it comes to the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah and we ask the question, what can we do to ensure that we take wholesale from uh, these days? Then immediately we say that one of the best things you can do during these days is to go for Hajj. And mashallah, we have many from uh, the community this year going for Hajj and some have left already and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to ease their journey and their Hajj and to accept from them uh, their journey and their pilgrimage. Ameen. And may Allah accept from those who performed uh, uh, the Hajj before. And may Allah uh, facilitate those who haven't done the Hajj to attend the Hajj in the future. Ameen. So the Hajj is the best act of worship that you can perform 
during these days. And with regards to the Hajj, we can't speak about it without discussing the Kaaba. Because Ibrahim salam built the Kaaba, and the story of Hajj stems from his completion of building this Kaaba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us in His book, وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ يَأْتُوكَ رِجَالًا وَعَلَى كُلِّ ضَامِرٍ يَأْتِينَ مِنْ كُلِّ فَجٍ عَمِيقٍ Allah says to Ibrahim, after he builds the Kaaba, and proclaim the pilgrimage to mankind. Allah commanded Ibrahim to stand up uh, on a high station and to announce the Hajj to the people. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that they will come to you on foot and they will come to you mounted on animals and they will come to you through deep and distant mountain highways. So this was the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Ibrahim alayhi salam. Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah, he says that Ibn Abbas reports that Ibrahim alayhi salam said to Allah after Allah gave him this command that, Oh my Lord, how can I convey to the people when my voice will never reach them? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded back and said, Ballig wa al-balagh. It is your job to convey and I will cause your conveyance to reach. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Ibrahim alayhi salam. So Ibrahim alayhi salam stood on a high station and he announced and said, O mankind, your Lord has established a house. This house which Ibrahim just built, the Kaaba. So come to it in pilgrimage. And when he did this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused the mountains to become lowered so that the voice would reach all the regions on earth, including those who are in the wombs of their mothers. This is what we hear from Ibn Abbas. And even those who are yet to be born, this message reached them. And brothers and elders in Islam, we live this reality today because we know about the pilgrimage, we know about the hajj, we know how to observe the hajj, and we see millions attending the hajj yearly. And that is why the believer goes to hajj announcing labbaik, that here I am, O Allah. Labbaik, Allahumma labbaik. Here I am, O Allah. Meaning I'm answering the call of Ibrahim, alayhi salam, that you commanded him to make the call, and you promised that you would convey his call. That call has reached me, and I am answering this call. So hajj is the best act of worship that one can do during these days. Now, for those who are not going for hajj, and even for those going for hajj, but it, sometimes it's difficult for those going for, uh, for hajj to cover some of the other acts of worship. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all merciful. He doesn't leave a portion of His creation astray without guidance, especially when they are about to enter a season of worship. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam to teach the residents, those who will not be going for hajj. And let's not forget that according to one uh, of the views of the scholars, Hajj became compulsory in the sixth year after Hijrah. Which means the Prophet ﷺ performed Hajj many years after it became compulsory because Mecca was blocked and the Muslims couldn't go and attend the Hajj. So they knew that they were in a season of worship. What should they do and what would they do? So the Prophet ﷺ shared with them from his guidance acts that they should not leave or acts that they should be diligent with, especially during the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. And the first of these acts is to fast. To fast 
the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. And when we say 10, we mean the first nine. Because you can't fast on the 10th. The 10th is the day of Eid. So to fast the first nine days of Dhul Hijjah. And we know from the lessons that you heard during Ramadan that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His reward for fasting is from the greatest of rewards. Right? The rewards for fasting are actually a blank check. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, The fast is for me. Why? Because my slave, My slave leaves his food and his drink and his desires for my sake. So the fast is for me and I will reward the fast personally. Or I am the reward for the one who fasts. Which means that on the day of Qiyamah, wherever your shortfall is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring out your fasts and make it work for you on that day so you enter not just any paradise but a great paradise because Allah has a paradise for those who fasted right so fasting especially during these days is something that we have to do because there's no better act remember what the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that your act during these days are the best the same act the same voluntary fast on any other day does not equate in terms of reward and belovedness to Allah than the act done during these days. So we should try and fast the first nine days of Dhul Hijjah. For those who can't fast the first nine, then fast every second day in the first nine. If this is difficult for you, then fast at least every Monday and Thursday within the first nine of Dhul Hijjah. And if you can't do that, then be sure to fast at least the ninth of Dhul Hijjah. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us that the one who fasts the ninth of Dhul Hijjah, Allah will remove his minor sins for two years. Or two years worth of minor sins will be deleted off your slates. As Allah deletes the slates of the Hujjaj on the day of Arafah, for those who fast, Allah will expiate the minor sins for the previous year and the upcoming year. And this is amazing, an amazing reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for just a small act. Right? And this is the reality of Allah being generous and being kareem that He rewards us with a mighty reward for a little effort. So even if you can't fast the nine, Allah knows how our circumstances and, and situations differ. Allah ensures that we have the ninth, at least one day in which we receive a mighty reward. In terms of the Prophet ﷺ, Hunayda ibn Khalid radiallahu anhi narrates from his wife, that one of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ said that the Prophet ﷺ used to fast on the first nine days of Dhul Hijjah and the day of Ashura, which is the 10th of Muharram, and the three days each month, meaning the 13th, 14th, and 15th. And he used to fast the Monday of the month, and two, or the first Monday of the month, and two Thursdays. And this narration has been considered authentic and something uh, attributed to one of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Another act of worship that we need to ensure we observe during these days is reciting the tah, uh, the, the tahmid and the tahleel and the takbir in a great way. And in fact, the the, the takbir of these days uh, covers the tahleel and the tahmid. When I say tahmid, I mean alhamdulillah. When I say tahleel, uh, I mean la ilaha illallah. When I say takbir, uh, I mean Allahu Akbar. Right? This is the Arabic language has a, has a way of giving sentences uh, a noun, the, uh, a name. Like for example, uh, we have for Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, it's called basmalah. And for example, hayya ala salah and hayya ala al falah, 
in the Arabic language it's called Hayyala. This is uh, the Arabic language has the depth to give nouns to certain phrases. So when we say Tahmid, we mean Alhamdulillah. This is a phrase. When we say Tahleel, we mean La ilaha illallah. This is a phrase. When we say Takbir, we mean Allahu Akbar. Allah says Liyashhadu manafi'a lahum wa yadhkur ismallahi fi ayyamin ma'lumat. Allah says so that they may witness Allah's benefits to them and then they mention the name of Allah on the appointed days. Some of the scholars of tafsir have said that the appointed days here in this ayah in Surah Al-Hajj refers to the first 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah. So Allah commands us to remember him during these first 10. And it was narrated from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that there are no days that are greater before Allah or in which good deeds are more beloved to him than these 10 days. So recite a great deal of tahleel wa takbir wa tahmeed meaning recite in, in uh, manifestly and in abundance uh, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, and Alhamdulillah. Now, during these 10 days, we have the takbir of these 10 days, which we know as Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi Alhamd. This takbir has two versions to it. It has a, there's a restricted version and there's an open version. The open version refers to you reciting it from the moment the first 10 days arrive. Reciting it from the moment the first 10 days arrive until the 13th of uh, Dhul-Hijjah. These are the days for this takbir. In fact, the scholars say there's no better dhikr of Allah aside of the Qur'an than uh, this takbir. Why? Because this takbir is specific to these days. You can't observe it outside of these days or outside of the days of Eid. So, uh, in this takbir, we have the Allahu Akbar, we have the Alhamdulillah, and we have the La Ilaha Illallah. And there's different versions of this takbir, all of them are correct. One version is to say Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La Ilaha Illallah, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi Alhamd. Another version is to say Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La Ilaha Illallah, Wallahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. So you increase another Allahu Akbar at the end, Walillahi Alhamd. This is also okay. It's been reported from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or something established in the Sharia. The third uh, takbir is to say Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. So we have three Allahu Akbar. La ilaha illa Allahu, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, walillahi alhamd. So any version you know suffices. Be sure to repeat it, but also be sure to repeat it in a way that you understand it, in a way that you develop from it. A lot of us do dhikr, alhamdulillah. But the question is, do we benefit from the dhikr? The dhikr is not a means of just keeping the tongue moist with a recitation void of contemplation. The dhikr that benefits is the one that carries the greatest rewards. And that is the dhikr that is filled or coupled with contemplation. And some of the scholars say that this takbir is the takbir of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And that is why it has a presence, especially during these days. Because when Allah told him or revealed to him in a, in a dream to slaughter his son, this was something that is difficult for a human being. It's even more difficult for a father. It's even more difficult for a father who asked Allah for a child for decades. And then he only got it when he was 90 years old. But this is what Allah revealed to him. 
to see whether he had anything else in his heart other than Allah. And he proved in action that he had only Allah in his heart. And everything else that he loved, he had it in his hands. But he only had Allah in his heart. But as he was going through the process, the steps of taking his son and walking with his son through the plains of what we call today Mina, to the place of slaughter, and human nature is overtaking him, he was teaching himself of his place in front of Allah. So he would say, Allahu Akbar, Allah is greater. Allahu Akbar, Allah is greater. Greater than me, greater than my son, greater than my desires. La ilaha illallah. There is no one worthy of worship besides Allah. Allahu Akbar, He is greater. Walillahi alhamd, for Him is all praise. Whatever He does, He does good. He was teaching Himself, alayhi salam. Repeating the takbir, teaching Himself to ensure that human nature doesn't cause Him to, uh, to verge off what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded him to do. And in that instance, that was the straight path. Then as he meets the shayateen, he pelts them saying, Allahu Akbar. So the hujjaj pelt and they say, Allahu Akbar. Allah is greater than what the shaytans were telling him about human nature and about his son and about, you know, slaughtering your son, being barbaric and so on and so forth. He slaughtered them, he stoned them, remembering who commanded him and who is greater. And then as he lays his son down, he sees what he sees. It has an effect on him. He teaches himself, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, walillahi alhamd. Then he's sharpening the knife. Can you imagine what's going through his heart? And what's going through his mind? And what's going through his veins? But he keeps on teaching himself that Allah is greater than me, my desires, my son. Thus he takes the knife and he puts it on, his, on the neck of his son. And in the name of Allah, Saying Allahu Akbar that Allah is greater, he carries out the command knowing that this is what my Lord who is greater than me has told me to do. But Allah didn't make the knife cut because the knife only cuts with the will of Allah. Just like fire only burns with the will of Allah. When Ibrahim as a young boy, he was thrown into the fire, Allah commanded the fire to be cool. Right? Ya narukuni barda wa salaman ala Ibrahim. Allah commanded the fire to be cool and safe for Ibrahim. And the scholars of tafsir say, if Allah just commanded the fire to be cool, without commanding the fire to be safe, then Ibrahim would have frozen in, 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 in that position. Right? So nothing happened except with the will of Allah. So Allah usurped the, the, the knife's ability to cut. And then Allah says, وَفَدَيْنَاهُ بِذِبْحٍ عَظِيمٍ Instead of his son, we gave him an alternative. And that was the ram. So this is the reality of the takbir, my dear brothers and elders in Islam. And we need to use this especially in this day and age with vice becoming rampant and, 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 and people going through different circumstances and situations, whether financially, whether economically, whether politically, whether socially, and so on and so forth. This is the especially a season of worship, a time for us to train our akhlaq, train your character, train your belief. Some of us have, we have issues, we have, we have character issues, and this is normal, right? We're not created perfect, but this is the time to humble yourself. This is the time to train yourself to be humble. To train yourself to become a submitter to the will of Allah. Because this is what Islam is. To submit to the will of Allah in the moment you live in. And this is what Ibrahim was doing. So this takbir is a means that as you repeat it throughout these days of hajj, you say Allahu Akbar, you teach yourself that you are nothing in front of Allah. Yes, you have your ways, you have your views, you have your opinions, you have today everyone, right? I feel, this is what I feel, this is my view, this is my opinion. This is a chance to teach yourself that Allah is greater and what He has revealed means more.
As we discuss this whole issue of the sacrifice of Ibrahim alayhi salam, we come to the next act of worship which is the udhiyah. And the udhiyah is not the hadi. The hadi is a sacrifice that a pilgrim does. For those who are doing tamattu' hajj or qiran hajj, then the sacrifice that you do, which is part of the hajj, this is called al-hadi. But the, had, the, the sacrifice that those who are not performing hajj do is known as the udhiyah or better in our societies as the qurbani. This is one of the greatest acts of worship that we can do during these 10 days. With regards to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Anas ibn Malik says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he slaughtered kabshayni amlahayni aqranayn. He slaughtered two uh, rams which had a white and uh, black uh, speckles on it. And he slaughtered them with his own hand and he said, Allahu Akbar, Allah is greater, whilst putting his foot on the neck of, 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 of the ram. So to ensure that, that, that the position where he was going to cut was stable, which means there would uh, no further discomfort would happen to the animal. And this teaches us how the Sahaba would watch exactly what the Prophet ﷺ was doing, that even in a narration like this, that give you a, uh, they would depict uh, the exact action of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In the narration of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi, he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam stayed in Medina for 10 years offering the sacrifice every year on the day of Eid. Right? So here we see that this is a stressed sunnah. In fact, in the Hanafi madhab, this is a wajib. It is something compulsory that everyone who is able has to do. In another narration, Uqba ibn Amir, he says that the Prophet ﷺ shared out the sacrificial animals amongst his companions. So Uqba, he got a sheep that was six months old only. Right? So he went to the Prophet ﷺ about the six-month-old sheep, and he said, my sheep is only six months in age, and the Prophet ﷺ said, offer it as a sacrifice. And the reason why this narration is, is mentioned is because here we see the Prophet ﷺ teaching us that the udhiyah, number one, is a great act of worship during these 10 days. Number two, there's rules and regulations about it. And the, the more you conform to the rules and regulations, the greater reward you will receive from the udhiyah. So one of the first rules, and this is one we all know, is that the animal that is sacrificed should be from the an'am. The an'am, Allah says, Bahimat al-an'am. So it has to be from the an'am. It has to be from the camels, or from the cows, or a sheep, or a goat. Right? These are the only animals that are accepted in the udhiyah. Secondly, there's a stipulated age that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned before your udhiyah can be accepted. You can't just slaughter any animal. The animal must have reached the stipulated age. And in the sunnah, we find the age of mature or, 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 or the mention of maturity being mentioned, except in a circumstance when you, when you don't have that animal, then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam allowed uh, a, 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 a jada'a, which is a six-month-old lamb. This is the exception. That if you don't have any animal of age, then from the lambs, you can choose a six-month-old lamb, and this would suffice. And the sunnah uh, lists for us uh, the different ages for the different animals. Uh, this is, uh, we can discuss it quickly. In the case of camels, uh, the Prophet ﷺ said the minimum age is five years old. For cattle, for cows, it's two years old. For sheep, 
It's one year old, but if you don't have, then you can slaughter a lamb of six months old. Also, the animal should be free of any, of any defect. When you choose the animal, it should be free of any defect. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned obvious defects, defects that are noticeable. You should stay away from it, such as the animal having a defect in one of its eyes. Or for example, the animal uh, showing symptoms of illness like having a fever, for example, or not uh, having an appetite to eat. This is a sign that the animal is ill. Also, uh, he, he advised us against slaughtering animals that have obvious lameness, they have difficulty walking. And also animals that have weak bone, uh, a weak bone marrow, right? It's known as uh, emaciation. It's a, it's a condition that causes the animal to have weak uh, bone marrow. If the animal is of this nature, then this is not the animal that should be slaughtered. So these are some of uh, the rules and regulations pertaining to the slaughter. One important mention, since we're on this topic, and since many or some get their slaughter done outside um, of, of, of the country that they observe uh, the Eid in, we have to ensure that the slaughter is done after the Eid prayer is complete. Allah says, فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَنْحَرْ the scholars of tafsir say Allah mentions salah before the sacrifice. So the sacrifice must happen first, then, sorry, the salah must happen first, then the sacrifice. And the Prophet ﷺ also stipulated this in a narration uh, in the sunnah. Uh, and the scholars say that whoever sacrifices before they co uh, complete the Eid salah, then they need to sacrifice again. Because that sacrifice is considered a sadaqah, it's not considered the sacrifice of udhiyah. So bear this in mind, if you are sending your money outside of the country and asking uh, them to slaughter on your behalf, uh, ensure that you inform them that their slaughter should be after you uh, observe your Eid. It could happen that they observe Eid a day before you. And then after Eid, they slaughter the animal on your behalf. This is not counted. So you should inform them that your Eid is delayed and you do have until the 13th of Dhul Hijjah for your sacrifice to happen. Um, one of the things that the scholars mention about these days is that it's preferable and recommended for those who are uh, sacrificing not to cut their nails or their hair uh, and to mimic or resemble uh, a person who is in the state of ihram. Right? Now the majority of the scholars say this is uh, something recommended with Imam Ahmed uh, having the view that this is compulsory. That whoever wants to slaughter, they can't touch any, anything from their, from their skin. Can't remove any hair, can't uh, remove any nails until the slaughter is complete. Imam Ahmad views this as compulsory, but the majority of the ulama consider it recommended. So this is something we should try and mimic if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it uh, easy for us. Then, brothers and elders in Islam, we have all the other acts of worship that we know. There's no limit to what you can do in these days. Whatever you do, no matter how big, no matter how small, understand that you will be doing it in the best of days where the rewards for those acts are greater. So you should make a list of what you can do, right? Or and what you have done. That's how you prepare for these days. Salatul Duha, revive it, right? Maybe you were doing it in Ramadan and it slipped a little bit, right? The Sunnah Rawatib, the Sunnah prayers around the Fajr prayers, revive it. Waking up for tahajjud, revive it. Reading your Qur'an, maybe in Ramadan you were doing half a juice, after Ramadan it went down to a quarter, pick up again, go to half. Or if you're doing half, pick up again, go to three quarters, right? Have a plan, right? Whenever you plan for something great, 
something exciting you plan well like how we plan for holidays like how we plan for the opening day of school for example uh, how we plan uh, our businesses and so on and so forth this is tijara with Allah this is a business transaction with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so plan make sure you write it down you have a board uh, on your tablet on your device have a, a program that you might you know program related to the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah and it's your program on how you're going to execute your strategy in ensuring that you take wholesale from this month. Because brothers and elders in Islam, you and I both know that there were people who were with us last Eid and we've buried them, right? They're not with us this Eid. There's no guarantee that you will get another 10 days, right? So this is not the time to take chances. This is not the time to be lazy, especially when it comes to you and your paradise. Because there's no greater asset that you have than paradise. And paradise is our asset. Allah says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ اشْتَرَى مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ أَنفُسَهُمْ وَأَمْوَالَهُمْ بِأَنَّ لَهُمُ الْجَنَّةِ Allah has purchased your life and your money in exchange for Jannah. Right? So He gave you Jannah and in exchange for it, He bought your life and your money. That's why you have to live how He wants and you have to spend the money how He wants because the transaction happened. So our greatest asset is Jannah. You don't want to messing, be messing about with uh, that uh, great asset. Finally, uh, brothers and elders in Islam, um, I want to share with you because we discussed how the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam slaughtered kabshayni amlahayni akranain. He slaughtered these two rams. It is narrated that when he did so, he told Aisha radiallahu anha to distribute the meat of these animals, and he walked out to do some other work. So when he came back, he asked Aisha. How much, of the, how much meat remains? How much meat remains? And this is testimony to Aisha and her selflessness. As she loved giving sadaqah. And this is one of her greatest, one of the acts that she focused on during the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah and during her life. But especially during the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. Right? So he told her how much remains. So she said to him, O Prophet of Allah, nothing remains except the shoulder of the animal. And we know the shoulder has the least meat. Right? The, the shoulder has the least meat. Meaning I gave everything with excellence for the sake of Allah except the shoulder. I'll cook this for us. Nothing remains except the shoulder. So he said to her, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, Oh Aisha, Oh Aisha, don't say nothing remains except the shoulder. Say everything remains except the shoulder. Right? Because what you gave to Allah, that truly remains. Except the shoulder that we will eat, and this won't remain. So what you deposit with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is what will truly remain. And I know today people say, cash problem, this problem, okay, there's eco-cash, sadaqah and eco-cash is acceptable. Right? But if you still feel that even eco-cash, is maybe there's a problem with the network, then there's different ways to do sadaqah. It doesn't only have to be financial. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, uh, he commanded the, 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 the companions to give sadaqah. So they said to him, فَمَنْ لَمْ يَجِدْ What about the one who, who doesn't have money? And what about the one who doesn't have money? So he said, يَعْمَلْ بِيَدِهِ فَيَنْفَعْ uh, نَفْسَهُ وَيَتَصَدَّقْ He should work with his hands and earn the money so he benefits himself and then he can give sadaqah with the extra. Then they said, okay, what if he doesn't have a job? فَإِنْ لَمْ يَجِدْ He said, then he should go and help someone who is in need. And this will be a sadaqah. Right? Then they said, okay, but what if he doesn't find someone in need? Then he says, then he should do good deeds and he should stop himself from creating harm. 
He shouldn't work in a manner that brings harm to other people. If you can't help other people, in the least don't harm them. So these are all lessons, these are, these are all forms of... Uh, and, and the Prophet sallallahu says, فَإِنَّ لَهُ sadaqa. This is a sadaqah. When you act in a way, you bite your tongue when you need to, because speaking will bring harm. There's no good in it. This is a sadaqah. Right? So look after all these forms of sadaqah, because all our sadaqah remains. I end up with a story that one of our mashayikh uh, mentioned to us about a man from Egypt who performed hajj 30 times when the sheikh met him. And the sheikh asked him that, how did you manage with the situation in Egypt and so on and so forth? And they have a quota and uh, restrictions. How did you manage to come for hajj 30 times yearly? And this person said, uh, dear sheikh, I can't explain or I don't have the certain answer except for one matter that I think is the reason why Allah has given me this. Because truly, there are years where I intend not to go for hajj. But on the 9th of Dhul-Hijjah, I find myself on Arafah. Something happens and I'm there. So the shaykh said, what happened? He says, during my first hajj after Arafah, we, it was a tiring day, it was a hot day, we got onto the bus, and when I got onto the bus a bit late, when I got onto the bus, there was an old lady at the back. And she was complaining that her feet were hurting. And the way the bus was designed, it was designed in a way that the seats at the back had little leg room. And it was for those who paid less. And the seats in the front had greater leg room for those who paid more. So she was asking for a seat in the front and the organizers were refusing. So I sat on the bus and I could hear her, you know, complaining and, and moaning and, and uh, expressing her difficulty. So I got up and I went to her and I said, my dear mother, you take my seat, I'll sit here. And in response, she said, my dear son, may Allah bring you to Arafah every year. Subhanallah. Right? And, and, and this is a very telling thing, uh, brothers and elders in Islam, because I'm ending on sadaqah and not bringing harm to other people and bringing goodness to the lives of other people. The reality is, and as Ali radiallahu anhu, he says, Inna Allah Allah has kept two things hidden in two things. He's kept your knowledge of his happiness hidden after you worship him. You don't know. He's kept that hidden. And he's kept your knowledge of his awliya hidden as well. This is what he said. And for many months I contemplated over this, this statement. Because why did Ali choose these two things to mention? How did he realize that these are the two hidden things? Surely there's other hidden things. Why is he highlighting these two hidden things? And over time, it dawned upon me that in the first instance, when he says Allah has kept your knowledge of his happiness hidden, the wisdom behind it is so that you keep on worshipping Allah. You don't worship Allah on a scorecard system. If you worshipped Allah and He told you that your worship was accepted or told you that it wasn't accepted, you'll be marking scorecards. You'll be looking at how much uh, profit you have. That look, I've got assets here. I can, I can have a few days rest, right? This is human nature. So Allah keeps it hidden. So you don't know. So you, you wake up for Fajr the next day after you woke up for Fajr the previous day. And you fast the next Ramadan as you fasted the previous Ramadan because you don't know. But this is not a punishment from Allah. As you can see, it's a mercy. Right? By doing this, Allah is helping us acquire for ourselves a greater Jannah. But also there's another reason, and this dawned to me years later. And that is the opportunity to worship Allah 
through having good hope in Allah. This is another ibadah. To have good thoughts about Allah. If Allah told you, your ibadah is accepted, that was it. But if you worship Allah and He doesn't tell you it's accepted, now you have a chance to have good hope in Allah that He has accepted it. And this is what the Prophet taught us. That no one should die except that they should die having good hope in Allah. That they will meet Him on the day of Qiyamah and be pleased. Huh? And the Prophet ﷺ, he used to love positivity. So, through Allah not telling us or keeping our knowledge of His acceptance hidden, it gives us a chance to continue worshipping Him and then also to worship Him through having good hope in Him. So you pray Fajr, Allah rewards you and Allah rewards you for having good hope in Him that He accepted your Fajr. Right? So this is one point. And this is, if you ponder over it, this is in relation or this is between you and Allah. The second point when he says Allah has kept your knowledge of his awliya hidden. This is related to hukukul ibad. We have hukukullah, that's the first statement. But hukukul ibad. Imagine if you and I knew who the awliya of Allah was. We'd only have a few numbers in our mobile phone. Who needs the rest, right? You'd only have a few friends on Facebook. We don't need the rest. These are the awliya of Allah. We have them. They make dua for us, it's done deal. Right? So Allah keeps your knowledge of His awliya hidden. So that you are not picky and choosy with the rights of the creation of Allah. You strive in being good to every human being. Because you never know. One day, you might give your seat on the bus to one of those human beings. And they will make dua for you. And it will be the opening of your dunya and akhirah in an instant. Right? This is this what sadaqah is. So you should intend this. When you... Intend to help someone, intend it to be a sadaqah and ask and make it for the sake of Allah. Right? And, and, uh, and, and when you intend to withhold harm from someone, sometimes we help other people. We know that they're going to be in a problem. So before they get into a problem, you know. Jump into the situation and help. And you don't have to tell them afterwards that, hey, you're going to be in a big problem. Huh? Lucky this guy told me, so I sorted it out for you. You, know, you don't have to say, it's between you and Allah. And that is a sadaqah which you've deposited with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Ameen, everything correct said is from Allah alone. And He is perfect and any mistakes are from myself and shaitan. And I seek His forgiveness. Subhanallah wa bihamdi, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi